good morning. It's good to see everybody, and we're glad that you're here. We hope that you got a bulletin to come in. Let me open this morning in a quick word of prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you've called us to worship, to be in your presence. Uh, Lord, prepare our hearts and minds this morning that we may truly just come to worship and to exalt you above all things. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Before I call us to worship this morning, let me take a moment. Sometimes I read these. This one's a little bit longer. It's the silent meditation. I've been pulling things from E.M. Bounds on his work of prayer. And one of the five pillars of our church, one of our vision statements was to be a church of prayer. And so as I put these in there, I, I pray that they are effectual to you. But it says, without devotion, prayer is an empty form a meaningless round of words. Sad to say, much of this kind of prayer prevails today in the church. This is a busy age, bustling and active, and this bustling spirit has invaded the church of God. We pray without praying. We sing without singing with the spirit and the understanding. We go to church by habit. We come home all too gladly when the benediction is pronounced. We say our prayers by repetition and are not sorry when the amen is uttered. What a stance to call all of us to this point of understanding the importance of prayer in our lives. Responsive call to worship. I'll read the light print if you'll join me in reading the bold print together. It's taken from Psalm 43. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide us. Let them bring us to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then we will go to the altar of God, to God our joy and our delight. We will praise you with the heart, O God, our God. Let's do that this morning. Let's exalt him and just sing together just how great he really is. Let's sing together in your bulletin. Your strong and mighty deeds are 
may be seated. And let's take a moment as we welcome everyone here this morning. We're glad that you're here. And we do hope that you have filled out a guest card. If you haven't done so yet, please do so. It gives us a chance to at least contact you, email you, and let you know uh, that we would like to minister to you in any way possible. Uh, we do have a lot going on. I'll let you read through the announcements. If you flip over from the front page to the left of your bulletin, you'll see announcements. Uh, there are some prayer requests and things that are listed there that through the service we'll uh, together be able to pray for later on. We do invite you to fill out that prayer card or guest card. And if you have a prayer request that you want placed in the bulletin, please let us know. And uh, we'll share that with you uh, as a congregation. I do want to announce this morning that uh, the elder and deacon nomination uh, will be taken this month. So I believe uh, we're here at the end of the month. This is the last Sunday that we've opened it up for election. And so if you haven't nominated someone yet and you are still been praying about who it is you think should be an elder or a deacon, the green forms are out there on the right table as you're leaving. There is an elder box right there. Um, you have the right to just write the person's name in, whether it's up to three or if you just have one name that you would like to put. And again, whether you know if they're members or not or where they are serving or not, um, it doesn't matter if you nominate someone who's already serving. Obviously, it won't matter. Um, they're already here with us, but we would like you to at least share with us uh, where you are and those that you would like to serve among you. Also, Sarah's going to be beginning choir rehearsals for a special time in October and also for Christmas stuff up and coming. And so that's going to start October 5th on Thursday evenings. So if you want to begin planning your calendar ahead or even if you can't come every week and you'd like to be a part, uh, they're going to be meeting here on Thursday evenings starting October 5th. So plan, those of you who like to sing, uh, want to come up and be a part, even if you can't be a part of the choir all year long, this may be a time that you can come and sing and be a part. Also, if you want to help with music, uh, maybe an opportunity for you to come on Thursdays when they're practicing, and maybe you can fill in and rotate along when our singers are out, and we always need those uh, helping lead worship. And the more we get, uh, we may just expand the stage and the choirs and put the pews up front and a few people out there and... Uh, it's really just congregational singing. So whether you're up here or out there, we are here to glorify God and to use our gifts to worship him. So we invite you to come and do that. Uh, also, um, I know we may be praying about it a little bit later in the service, but if you didn't get the note, Scott Van Zenten and them are in North Carolina. His father did die. Um, and so if you have a chance to respond to them and let them know uh, what they're... And I haven't heard back from Beth Bowers' father. Is he... This morning, okay, I'm so, thank you for sharing that. I know I saw some of the emails and things, but we definitely in just a moment will be praying together for Scott's father and Beth's uh, this morning as he has passed as well. So we have a lot of needs in our congregation. Robbie, as you know, was in a car wreck. So lots that we'll be praying for in just a moment uh, as uh, Bruce comes to lead us in prayer. But lastly, let me just say that we appreciate your prayers uh, for the session as we're going forward. I'm excited. Uh, we went through the paperwork and the processes and everything is set up with Presbytery. Uh, Woody Waddell announced several weeks ago that we were looking at maybe bringing in some help uh, from Mr. David Frierson, his wife Suzette, um, to give you a fuller story. Um, I've known David for many, many years, but him and his wife are preparing for retirement. They were deciding what to do next. And uh, at General Assembly, I was telling him it would sure be nice to have someone to come and help for a while while we transition with elders into what our next vision is. 
And so uh, he has accepted that call. We've sent that to him, and Presbytery is, now has that, and we'll go through that process. But please be in prayer, because if all goes well, they have resigned their church and working through that process now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he should be here the first week of November, if all goes well. And so it is a temporary position. It's a wonderful time for you to get to, to know him and his family while they're here. He's going to help me in all aspects of ministry. Uh, while the session continues to decide just who is it that we need to hire full-time going forward. And one person asked me, um, what is it we're looking for? So let me take just a, a brief second to say this. At a church our size, if you don't realize that, we don't have the funds to hire five or six people for every position. And so little by little, we hire people all over the place. We hire part-time music. We hire part-time youth. We have part-time finances. We have part-time associates. I mean, before long, you almost have to hire someone to watch all the people you've hired. And what we really want to do is find out what role is it that our church really needs. Do we need a full-time music and youth, a music and education, education administration? Where are we with the gifts that we have here as to the person we hire that would be long-term. And so David Frierson is coming with the full intent of understanding that whether that's a year from now or two years, he is willing to come, fill in, and minister to us in any way possible that he can be of help uh, until we decide who it is, uh, what it is God has for us. So thank you for your prayers through this. It'll be a blessing for me as well to be able to have some time to put things together and to have some time to get away and to do some things, to get things covered uh, that I haven't been able to do, and, and hopefully when he gets here, I'll have a chance to do some uh, pastoral visiting and some things that uh, we've been so busy for years uh, that it'll be something I would enjoy as well. So we thank you for all that, uh, that that you've been lifting before us. We welcome those of you, and if you see a new face in November, uh, we'll have some time to get together to recognize him as well. Um, but for the rest of the service, I've asked Bruce if he would come and help us. And so at this time, I'm going to ask Bruce if he'll come and facilitate us as we go forward. Thanks, Bruce. Good morning. We come to that section of the service where we confess our faith. And as we have been doing, we will continue to use the larger Westminster Catechism. And today, we will be looking at the Sixth Commandment. Allow me to read the question, and together we'll respond with the answer. What is the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment is, you shall not murder. What does the Sixth Commandment require? The Sixth Commandment requires us to do our best to make every lawful effort to preserve our own life and the lives of others. We do this by controlling our emotions and by avoiding all opportunities, temptations, or actions that would promote or lead to the unjust taking of someone's life. We should be tolerant of others and ready to be reconciled, patiently put up with and forgive injuries against us, and return good for evil. Finally. We should provide aid and comfort to those in distress, as well as protect and defend the innocent. What particular sins does the Sixth Commandment forbid? The Sixth Commandment forbids 
taking our own or anyone else's life, except in the pursuit of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, neglecting or withholding the necessary means for the preservation of life, sinful anger, hatred, envy, or desire for revenge, all excessive emotions and distracting anxieties, intemperate eating, drinking, working, or playing, speaking in a provocative way, oppressing, quarreling with, hitting, or wounding others, and anything else conducive to the destruction of anyone's life. Today, we may, may we examine ourselves in light of that sixth commandment. As we go to prayer this morning, and as is our custom, we will close with the Lord's Prayer. And as we do go to prayer, I would ask you to hear these words from Romans, the 14th chapter. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, for if we live, we live to you. And Heavenly Father, if you had willed it, each of us might have entered heaven at the moment we believed, the moment Jesus Christ came into our heart. And in faith, we believed in him. It is true. Life is a long process, and what we call our sanctification, our growth in grace, our becoming more and more like Jesus Christ is a lifelong process. And we shall not be perfected till we lay aside our bodies and enter heaven. But Heavenly Father, we do think about it. If you had so willed it, he could have changed us from imperfection to perfection. And he could have done it when we believed and when we had faith in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we think and pray, why then are we here? Would you keep your sons and daughters out of paradise a single moment longer than necessary? Why does the army of the living God, those trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, remain on the battlefield? Why are your children contending with the troubles tribulations, discouragement, and sins of this world. When one word spoken by you would take us home. And Father, this act, we ask you this morning for your forgiveness. If we grumble and complain, we are here that we may live unto the Lord and may bring others to know your love. 
We remain on earth as sowers to scatter good seed, your seed. We remain on earth as heralds proclaiming salvation through Jesus Christ. We are here as the salt of the earth to be a blessing to the world. We are here to glorify Christ in our daily life. We are as here as workers for him and as workers together with him. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Lord God, our prayer this morning, let us see that our lives are lived to your purposes, honest, useful, holy lives, your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which you yourself prepared beforehand that we should walk in them to the praise and glory of you. Heavenly Father, may we individually, as your sons and daughters, and corporately as your church, be used by you in making all things new. Lord, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, in reverent worship, we give you our thanks and praise for drawing nigh unto us, for seeking us out. And Father, we pray for those who were laid upon our hearts, family, friends, acquaintances, those who may not know you. Lord, in your mercy, Seek them out also. Father, we pray your spirit would comfort, encourage, and strengthen Pastor Jerry as he proclaims your word this morning. Father, we ask your blessing on our tithes and offerings. Use them to the proclamation of your gospel. And Father, we pray meet the needs of all here assembled, and those not able to be here. This morning we think of the Bauer family, the Cully family, the Johnson family, Van Santen, those who have lost loved ones, those who have been in car accidents. Father, draw near to them. Grant them thy peace. And now, may the Lord and creator of the universe establish us as a holy people unto himself through Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. And he who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The ushers, please come forward.
Please remain standing. Let's continue our worship with hymn number 496, Kind and Merciful God. God is ready to forgive, gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And together now, let us confess our sins unto him. O Lord, do not withhold your mercy from us. Send your love and truth to always protect us. We confess there are many troubles that surround us. We are so deep in our sin, we cannot see. We confess our hearts have turned from you and are failing within us. O oh Lord, please save us. Come quickly to help us in our time of need.
Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, assures us, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Continue your worship by singing Christ the true and better.
Please be seated. If you would uh, take your Bibles and turn to Mark, that's where we've been studying this morning. And as you do so, uh, I'll share quickly a special announcement. And uh, hopefully all have come in and situated and are here. This is probably the most important of all the announcements. I wanted to wait until everybody was here. This is the announcement that says, men, you have a choir meeting right after Sunday school for five minutes at the piano. That's a meeting today. Men's choir, uh, let me remind you, just for a few moments after Sunday school, not worship, that we will have a meeting to prepare for our men's chorus for the fall and what we're going to be doing together for that. So please, men, come and join us. Uh, we'd love to have you be a part as we sing and celebrate through the season. Mark chapter 5 this morning is an opportunity for us to deal with chaos. And I know many of us have had times in our life where we feel we're surrounded by chaos. I don't know about your house, but I would say my house over the years have probably fit the definition of chaos more than one time. Now, I know it's all in perspective because some people handle some activity a lot better than others. For some, chaos can be just a simple change. For others, chaos has to be complete, utter destruction of all things around. But for you this morning, we're in chapter 5, and we realize that Mark is putting together these events in his life of what Jesus has done to help bring about the glory of God when we're facing chaos. And whether Satan is alive and well in the storm, the wind, in the lakes, or whether he's alive and well in the life of an individual trying to destroy the image of God that was created in him, Satan is always at work seeking to destroy. We're told in the scriptures that he roars like a lion seeking to devour his prey. We know that in Genesis, he slithered like a snake cursed by God. We never know when he's going to appear, whether it's going to be in the form of birds who pluck the seeds, whether it's going to be the lion that roars, the snake that slithers, the wind that blows, the rain that pours, the waves that rock, or in humans who've been possessed. We never know just where it is Satan is going to show up and bring chaos to our lives. And this morning, Mark takes us on a journey in chapter 5 of dealing and controlling the chaos. Listen what he says in Mark chapter 5. It's a lengthy passage, but listen to the whole of the story Chapter 5 says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles had been broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, cutting himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had already been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons begged him, saying, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirit entered into the pigs, and the herd rushed down to the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city, in the countryside, and the people came to see what was it that was happening. And then they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had previously had the legion. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the pigs. And they began to beg him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was begging him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people, report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. I know it's a lengthy story. Mark actually puts it in a whole lot longer than both Matthew and Luke. And he attacks it most of the time. Mark is succinct and to the point and comes right out and tells us what Jesus is doing. And in this story, we get a glimpse of how chaos can actually be controlled. Now, I know and I believe that the stories that Mark tells us are not stories meant just for us. They are the stories that I truly are meant for us to find the revelation of God, to find out who he is, that we might believe in him and trust in him. That's what John writes at the end of his gospel when he says, these things I've written to you in order that you might believe. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm paraphrasing so that you might be saved. So I believe the stories that we have are accounts that Mark witnessed Accounts that Mark had heard and shared through Peter. He's writing his testimony so that we would understand just how chaos, when it comes to the devil, Satan himself, through his demons, inflicting all kinds of chaos in our lives, just how we can control it. And so this morning, my prayer for you is to listen carefully, not just what Jesus does to the demoniac, but what he also promises he can do to you. And what he has done over the years. It's about controlling the chaos. So let me begin, but first of all, by simply saying I love how the story starts by going over to the other side of the sea. If you know your history, you know that on the eastern side of the sea is all Jewish, and on the western side is what? Many of the Gentile regions. That's where the gospel begins to expand to the people who haven't heard. And what we get Mark telling us is that now the message of Jesus, who's expanding over to the other side of the sea, has been already hindered by the waves. I think it's an amazing part of the story. Let me give you some detail. That Jesus is going to bring the gospel to the eastern or the western shores, and there's going to be a man full of all the demons and around the area where they live. And for some reason, when Jesus gets in the boat, the waves start rocking and try to hinder them from coming. And Jesus actually calms the waves as though he's exercising demons. Remember the same word. It's as though he's confronting Satan in the wind and the rain. 
It's almost as if Mark is saying Jesus is about to take the gospel and the devil's doing everything he can to prevent it from coming. And then they show up on the shore of the other side and here's where the story glimpses and we are reminded that there is a man who is unclean. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going to work with chaos in your life, the first thing you have to do is admit that you need to be cleansed. There are things in your life that need to be dealt with, and you can blame them on whatever you want, but it's up to you to claim them, to surrender them. There are too many people today living the life of Christianity with 90% of their heart probably uncontrolled. They went through the process of accepting Jesus Christ. They said the right things, did the right things, won over the right people, and lived their lives as though they're members of the church, and they're wrestling daily with chaos because Satan is constantly in their lives battling with them, torturing them as they wrestle with how to be what it is God's called you to be. In here, this demoniac, let's call him his name, he comes over with legion, is now coming to prostrate himself before the one who is the son of the most high God. Now, what makes the man unclean? Did you catch this as you're reading, those of you who love history? He's unclean because he has a spirit, correct? In the Jewish thought and understanding, having an evil spirit would definitely make you unclean, but so did other things. What the story doesn't tell you out openly that Mark reads into it is the man is more than just unclean. He's super unclean. He's not just super unclean in the sense they didn't like him, but folks, think about this. He's already in the land of the Gentiles who were considered what? Unclean. And he's living amongst the tombs, the dead, which are considered what? Unclean. And he's amongst the herdsmen of pigs, which are considered what? Do you get the story? What Mark is painting for us is that Jesus comes to a man into a region in which most of the world has deemed in chaos. It's where the demons live. It's where they roam. And sometimes our lives are no different. We find ourselves surrounded not by one issue, the straw that broke the camel's back is not what causes the chaos. The chaos is caused because we're surrounded in an environment that's not healthy. We're living in an environment that's not conducive to the gospel. We've been deemed by others, cast out and aside because of the way we live. We find ourselves now in a state in which most people look at us and think, what is wrong with you? Sometimes you might walk into the presence of people that you know are Christian and think to yourself, man, I'm going to be very uncomfortable here. Because the unclean finally realizes that he needs to be cleansed, understanding how that happens. There's no one in the Bible that I could think of more so than Job that understands misery. An entire book donated to him and his life being shattered by the things Satan wants to do to him, and yet we get an open look at how Satan does it. Here we get the story of a demon-possessed man where we don't get the outgoing story, we just get the inner turmoil. We don't see how many times Satan wanted to enter this man. We don't see how many times people turned their back on him. We don't see how many times he chose to live in sin rather than righteousness. What we do know is that his life now is chaos. So much so that his own community 
has shackled him, chained him, bound him, and done everything they could to get rid of him. If we take a moment and just solace, we might think to ourselves, sometimes that's how we feel when the unexpected show up in our presence. Well, the one who's constantly always nagging, begging, looking, talking and taunting, just what's it going to take to get rid of this person? The man in complete turmoil uses a the word that is in subdue here in the scriptures. It's found in verse 4. It says, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Listen to all the negativity that is in the scriptures that Mark chooses to use. No one can bind him. No one can chain him. And no one is strong enough. And no one can subdue him. Folks, we're at a point where this man is in a condition where no one can help him. And along comes someone who can. And what a blessing to know that wherever we are in life, the world may say to you, no one is interested, no one really cares, no one sees the need, no one wants to reach out, and yet there is someone who left the portals of heaven to become like us, to become one on earth, and to be recognized by demons when most men would do anything to deny him. It is the demons that fall down and say, son of the most hind of Jesus. They know who he is, and they know exactly what's going to happen to them. The problem with sinful humanity is we don't realize what's going to happen to us, and so we don't realize our need for him. We'll see how the story unfolds, that all of a sudden this word that is used to try to subdue him is the same word that is used that's trying to reach out and, if you wish, tame wild animals that is used in the book of James. That's who this person is. Chaos is now raging, and it needs to be cleansed. It needs to be addressed. There is someone this morning in your life. I'm not calling you a demoniac, but I am saying when life is raging out of control... I don't think it's a psychological problem. I think it's more of an occupational problem. Occupational in the sense of who's occupying your mind. Who's occupying your heart. Who's taking place of the things that belong to Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't just about being cleansed. If you're going to overcome the chaos, you've got to take those things and cast them out. It's the story that Mark is telling us of what Jesus has done to this man in order to deliver him. And the people around get definitely scared because not only do they recognize their need for cleansing of these things in their life and what Satan is, that's who it is, but they also need to cast him out completely. Here's what Jesus does. He comes to the demoniac. Proskenine is the word that is used to prostrate in reverence as if to worship or exalt. That's what it says when the unclean spirit came and fell down before him. Can you imagine demons are actually falling before him to worship him? 
It's almost like false worship, what we read about in the book of Revelation, in which people will do what they, whatever they have to do in order to exalt somebody to make it look like they're living right. The demons would fall down in false worship to try to get freedom from what they think Jesus is going to do. See, what they don't realize is that Jesus is not going to bring an end to them. The story lets us know that. I hope you can read that when you read this passage and understand it. The demons are scared to death. Why? Because every demon knows what Satan knows, and Satan knows that his time is coming to an end, and that at some point in time, he will be completely rendered hopeless, and that all his activity will come to naught, and all that he has tried to achieve will be lost. And the demons know that. And so they immediately call out to him and begin to say, Most high God, please don't what? Get rid of us. That's what he's really saying. That's what the man who, if you haven't caught the text in the Greek, the English tries to help you. It's sometimes the man says this, but they do this. And he said this, but they did this. And you have this textual variance where you have a singular and a plural being mixed back and forth together with this man. And why is that? It's because we have one man created in the image of God who's full of what? Many. And the battle goes between he and they, and he and they. Almost as if sometimes we say to ourselves, I think I'm going to lose my mind. Paul said at one time this way, what my body does, my mind wishes what it would not do. And what my mind wants my body to do, it doesn't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I could paraphrase it and say it this way. There's no one who can deliver me from this condition. And then he says what? Oh, yes, there is. There is one who has delivered me. There is one that takes the chaos and the whole content of what Satan has in our lives and casts it completely out. They knew their time had come. They just didn't want it to be finished. You see, it wasn't quite time yet. Jesus knew that. Jesus didn't cast the demons out and destroy them and put them in the chains and bind them with Satan in the pits. But they knew they were being cast out. They recognized their end had come, that they would be judged. So whether they were going to live in the birds, live in the wind, live in the rain, live in the the waves, cast out in the turmoil of beasts or even in pigs, it didn't matter where they lived. They just didn't want to be what? destroyed. Sometimes I think we do the same thing in our lives when we have things that we know do not belong and we know they need to go but we're not quite ready to destroy them and so we let them hang around and we let them live amongst us only to resurface, retempt, and retry. That's exactly what the demons are asking for. Cast us into these pigs. Listen to what they said. Their name is legion. As you know, it's in, in Greek, it's the, the legion. It's actually a, a, a Latin word that comes meaning a Roman troop, over 5,000 people. I don't think it's meant to be literal. I think it's because the same thing with pigs. Mark is good at using numbers. He always throws them out there. I don't think Mark counted 2,000 pigs on the side of the hill. And I don't know that he counted all 5,600 demons that would be inside. The point was, this person wasn't struggling with a split personality. They were struggling with what? 
multiple personalities, multiple conflicts, multiple issues. It wasn't just one thing in their life that needed to be changed. It wasn't just one area that needed to be addressed. The demons had complete control of all of his life in all aspects. And so they beg Jesus, please, let us go into the pigs. You know, the, the debate that rages today over why Jesus would allow these pigs to be filled is an amazing debate. We'll see that in a moment. But it's amazing that the demons asking Jesus to say to them, please let us go into the pigs. Just let us stick around. Just let us continue to live where we're comfortable. Just let us hang around the hosts. Don't, don't make us go too far. You can see Mark beginning to paint it, whether it's from the storms, the demoniacs, the elements of nature, the food that's taken in, the demons that come across. Mark takes us clearly to the point where we realize things need to be cast out. The story is not a story that's psychological, but theological and soteriological. It's about salvation. It's about God. It's about recognizing this truly is the son of the most high. Even in polytheism today, the word that we use when we're discussing multiple religions around the world, polytheistic, many gods, they all come to this point where they acknowledge that there is one God that's always above what? All the others. And these demons have recognized there is one above all others. And so they realized that if this control is going to take place, we need this chaos that's going to be addressed. It needs to be cleansed. It needs to be cast out. But listen to what happens. He addresses the discrimination in our lives. Now catch this. They go into the pigs, and it says that when he cast them out, the herdsmen, verse 14 ran away and reported this in the city. What did they report? The reference to what they're reporting is not what happened to the demoniac, but what happened to the what? The pigs. Can you believe that this man just killed 2,000 pigs? Can you believe that he just ruined our income, destroyed our remuneration? He just affected the areas of our life, and they ran into the town. That's how the Greek is structured to who it's there and who it is relating to. They went in to tell them about what's happened. They came running back out, and when they get there, they see this man that everybody knows. They've all shackled and chained him before. Who knows how many times he bothered their pigs while he was on the mountain? Who knows how many times he stole one, took one. He had to live somehow. They were more upset. And Jesus addresses it. You want to get rid of the chaos in your life, you're going to have to get rid of the discrimination that takes place on how you treat other things more important than you treat God's people. How many times do your possessions take priority over people? How many times are you afraid to let someone raid, to let someone stay the night? How many times are you afraid to be in the presence of someone because it's not safe? 
I think Satan has destroyed hospitality because as our country and world gets a little more distressed, it's causing all of us to live in fear. And you have to make a choice. Are you going to live by faith or fear? You see, that's what happened to the people. They come running out here. They've gone into the pigs. The pigs have ran into the water. Now, they're not destroyed. Keep this in mind, folks. They've just been cast out. The demons aren't destroyed. They're just homeless. That's what happened. The water doesn't drown the demon. We know that because the story previous, Jesus was casting the demon out of the water of the waves and the wind. Demons are everywhere. That's what the story's about. Now they're homeless, nowhere to go. And what good is that? He rendered them completely useless. He put them in a place where rather than destroying them, they now exist with nowhere to go, nothing to do. And the people get upset about it. They show up. Jesus confronts them, brings them to the presence of this man. You want to overcome chaos, don't just deal with confronting the discrimination in your life. Now you've got to give it all over to Jesus for him to control. Listen to the stories, the one of the waves that are rocking on the ocean, and now the man who is filled with demoniacs, they're both the same, and they both end in great fear, and neither one of them end in the people coming to faith. What is it going to take in your life to see what God has done in order for you to accept who God is? So many times we pray for God to do things in our lives, and when he does it, we walk right away unaffected in our faith and brought no closer to Jesus than we were before. Chaos. What is it that Jesus has cast out of your life? He's finally set you free. He's rendered you with the ability to go forward, to glorify him, exalt him, and to recognize who he is and to share that with everyone. And yet you're more focused on where this stuff went rather than how you're going to be used by God. Facebook did a valuable thing. Years ago, it allowed people to reconnect and to communicate. It allowed people to touch base with their past and to catch up with the things of their past, to touch base with the things they've lost hold of. It became a powerful way for people to reconnect. And as Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things what? Edify. Because along with it, it also allowed us to re-grab some old relationships, retouch with some old friendships, grab some old things we knew we should never do, rehash back with to see what's happening in their lives, what's really turned out with these things. Let me put it this way. You're more interested in the pigs than in the life that's been restored, delivered, and liberated by Christ. What are you hanging on to? You've got to give the control to Jesus Christ. You've got to let him have it all. As he's working in your life, he's changing your heart. We know it's because of him. But all of a sudden, we realize that we are now confronted with giving Jesus everything in his control. 
The chaos that now he's dealing with comes to a, a story in which now the people are more worried about pigs and ask him to leave. Just as if he went over to the storms and the people came over and they went back, now they're casting out things. You would think that when the people got there and saw the man, listen to what it says, they saw this man there. He was sitting down instead of what? Crazy. He's clothed, folks. We don't get that story, but he, he was living his whole life what? can imagine why that was a burden. And he was in his right mind, able to speak like a human being. You would have thought these people would have said, let's go get our children. Let's go get our neighbors. Let's bring ours that need healing. Let's bring ours that need cleansing. You would have thought they would have seen the miracle and come flocking to Jesus Christ and rather... They were more worried about what happened to the pigs, the fear that he would be destroying things, and they begged him to leave. Have you rebelled against Jesus' control? We used to say people years ago in Lorenberg, every time we would come to the pastoral prayer, that's the time that everybody would have to use the restroom. Every time we would begin to ask for a moment of silence, that would be the time that everybody would have to what? I remember back in the old Southern Baptist, we used to have what was known as an altar call. Does anybody know what that is? You're scared to death right now, aren't you? <laughs> Where's this pastor going? And we got to that last song, and the pastor might say something like, well, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come down. And everybody would be like, oh, man, you know what, hon? We've got to you know, maybe slip out the door and... Because unholy cannot stand to be in the presence of holy. Unclean cannot stand to be in the presence of clean. And sometimes when God confronts us, we begin to get agitated. We begin to get restless. We don't need the conclusion. We don't need to hear the final part. We don't need to be confronted with what's coming. We don't need to do the counseling. We don't need to be sitting together. We don't need to go through counseling in our marriage. We don't need to go through confrontation with our children. We don't, we don't need to be in the presence of someone who's going to challenge us with the truth. And so all of a sudden we realize this man gives us a demoniac, a better look. After they begged Jesus to leave, no sign of anyone coming to faith, the demoniac comes to Jesus. And here's what he says. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had the demon possessed was begging him that he might come with him. If you're gonna overcome chaos, it's not just about being cleansed. It's not about casting out all the things that we know aren't right. Yes, you got to confront all the discrimination in your life, the way that you treat people worse than any other object. And yes, you've got to surrender complete control. But you know what matters is in the end, this new life has got to be one that's commissioned by Christ. It's the one thing we've all been given. And here, more so than any of the others, this man begs to stay with Jesus. 
Father, you touched me. You changed me. You made me whole. No one else cared. No one else wanted to try. No one else had the ability. No one else seemed to want to do anymore. And yet you touched me. You changed me. And you liberated me. Now I just want to come with you and spend the rest of my life serving you. You would have thought Jesus would have said, okay. But he gives them this statement that haunts even me. No. Go home to your people and share with them the great things I just did for you. Go home. I don't know where my father is today. 30 years apart. And I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people we have touched and led to the Lord and churches we've helped build. And I never went back where? Home. Who was going to be the one to share with him? One who'd never been in church. Ever. Never list, lifted a, an interest at all. Who's going to tell my brother? Who's going to grasp my sister? Who's going to grab your children? Who's going to tell your mother? Jesus said one of the hardest things, salvation starts in the home. Parents, you only get your children for so long. You better make every effort that those children are confronted with the one who can control their life. So that they'll say to Jesus, I want to follow you as well. A life that is commissioned. Someone who can change you. Someone who can stop the chaos from overrunning your life. The word that Jesus uses, go home to your people, report them what great things the Lord has done. He's had mercy on you, and so he went away and proclaimed in Decapolis. Caruso, you know that word. It's the same word Jesus used in the first chapter and the same word the apostles used. Yeah. Folks, we live in a society you can take prayer out of schools. You can cast the Ten Commandments out of courthouses. You can pray and never use the name of God in public so you're not offensive. You can actually tell people they're no longer allowed to evangelize in events. The one thing you can't stop is someone who's been touched by Jesus and witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to change society? 
You want to stop the chaos? It's not by passing more laws, more regulations. It's by being a witness, starting in your home and starting to share the gospel by telling people what it is Jesus has done for you. Cast out the demons. Give Jesus control and be cleansed. No one else will do it, but I know one who will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, for your love, for the value of realizing that more than 2,000 pigs, the cost of redemption was way more than that. The loss of the things in our life that we have accumulated so that we can enjoy the things of this world, Lord, forgive us for placing more value there than on the life of the one who needs saved. When we've made choices to determine what would be best for us rather than helping one that's in need. And more so, Lord, forgive us when we have turned a shut eye, a hardened heart, and a deaf ear to the one who cries out that no one wants to help. Let us show them who does. Let us show them you, Father, and how you can change them, deliver them, and redeem them. Lord, I pray if there is one here this morning that's shackled and chained and needs to be freed, that, Lord, they would surrender to you. They would recognize your Holy Spirit help them recognize that you are the Son of the most high God. And Father, just as in creation, you brought about all the control. When darkness hovered over the face of the deep, when all things existed needed to be shaped, you remind us that the Spirit hovered over that deep and that Jesus was there with you to bring it all under control. Father, in the same way, bring our lives under control. We ask it in his name. Amen. If you're able and would, please stand with us as we sing together. It's in your bulletin. A tune may be a little bit different than what you're used to, but uh, the words are there if you need them. How great thou art. Let's sing this together.
if you'd receive the benediction. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.